Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In an era of online retail where everything is just a few clicks away, buying a car should be no different. That's why at Carvana, you can buy a car 100% online. We made it easy to browse, view, and buy from over 10,000 cars. You can even trade in your old car, all while binge-watching your favorite TV show. Afterwards, we'll deliver your car to you. Or you can pick it up from one of our car vending machines. Either way, your car comes with a seven-day return policy. So grab a seat, relax in your comfy pants, and enjoy the new way to buy a car at Carvana. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 Hey there, Movie Talk fans, it's Perry here, and I've got something you should know about. Sundays on The CW, superhero fans better be ready, because the bat signal is on, and you won't believe who's swooping in to heed the call. From the brilliant mind of Greg Berlanti and the executive producers of superhero smash hits Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow, comes the most anticipated new series to join the CW-verse, Batwoman. Get ready to meet your new hero, Kate Kane. She's a survivor, a fighter, and an all-around badass who plays by her own rules, and she's got the ink to prove it. Batwoman's story begins three years after the mysterious disappearance of Batman when Gotham City is in desperate need of a new kind of hero. Soon after returning home to defend her city from the notoriously twisted Alice in Wonderland gang, she discovers her cousin Bruce Wayne's mysterious lair and also his unbelievable secret. With the help of Batman's trusted tech genius Luke, she decides to carry on Batman's mission by becoming Gotham City's new superhero vigilante. From the suit to the gadgets to the fight scenes that'll blow your mind, this is the Batwoman of a new generation. So don't miss the incredible new series, Batwoman, Sundays at 8, 7 central on The CW or anytime you want on the free CW app. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, while supplies last. Offer ends eight thirty one twenty.
On today's show, we've got comments from Mark Marin on the recent quotes from Todd Phillips. Then we're asking the question, is Joker 2 a real possibility? And speaking of two superhero films, apparently Edward Norton had an idea for two Hulk movies. Welcome, everybody. So happy to have you today here for Collider Movie Talk. We've got Haley and Coy on the show today. But first up is our call sheet. Get ready for a quote heavy call sheet, because the first story we're covering today are those Todd Phillips quotes that we talked a little bit about last week. But it's actually a follow up from someone who's in the Joker. It's Mark Marin. He recently shared his thoughts on the matter. And here's what he said. There's plenty of people being funny right now, not only being funny, but being really effing funny. There are still lines to be rode. If you like to ride a line, you can still ride a line. If you want to take chances, you can still take chances. Really, the only thing that's off the table culturally at this juncture, and not even entirely, is shamelessly punching down for the sheer joy of hurting people, for the sheer excitement and laughter that some people get from causing people pain, from making people uncomfortable, from making people feel excluded, you know, that excitement. All right, so we are going to talk about that a little more on today's show. In addition to this next story here, we teased this yesterday a little bit, but we're going to dig into this topic today. Despite the early assumption that Joaquin Phoenix got involved in this Joker movie because it was a one-and-done deal, apparently it seems that he's open to the possibility of working with Todd Phillips on another one. First, Phoenix told Rolling Stone, it's nothing that I really wanted to do prior to working on this movie. The follow-up question there was asking if there's more to do with this character for future movies. And Phoenix said, I don't know that there is. Me and Todd would still be shooting now if we could, right? Because it seemed endless. The possibilities of where we can go with the character. You know, I wouldn't have thought about this as my dream role, but now, honestly, I can't stop thinking about it. I talked to Todd a lot about what else we might be able to do in general just to work together, but also specifically if there's something else we can do with the Joker that might be interesting. Now we are moving on to a Marvel story. In a new interview with the New York Times, Edward Norton revealed that he had a two-film plan for The Hulk. Here's how he explained it. I laid out a two-film thing, the origin and then the idea of Hulk as the conscious dreamer, the guy who can handle the trip, Norton continued, and they were like, that's what we want. As it turned out, that wasn't what they wanted. Apparently, this pitch was for something long, dark, and serious. All right, moving on over to something that you might want to be aware of right now. Apple just released their latest operating system called Catalina, and this new operating system has a whole bunch of revolutionary functions, but another thing it does is destroys iTunes. Catalina will now be focusing all of its music efforts into Apple Music, its Spotify competing music streaming service, and then for downloaded or rented movies or TV shows, those will now live in a new Mac version of Apple TV. For more on this, head on over to Collider.com. They got a full breakdown right there. Finally, for the call sheet, hey, it's more quotes, because while on the Howard Stern show, Robert Downey Jr. commented on not being 
part of Disney's Oscar campaign for Avengers Endgame. Here's what he said. I'm so glad you brought this up because there was some talk about it. And I said, let's not. And because I'm much more like you than you might want to believe, Downey Jr. told Stern. I listened to the show and I agree with most all of your opinions, varied though they may be. Occasionally you'll go on some tributary trail of thought and I'll go like, oh, that's not how I see it. But I love that you see it that way. Downey Jr. also weighed in on Martin Scorsese's recent quotes regarding his thoughts on the Marvel movies. And Downey Jr. said, it's his opinion. I mean, it plays in theaters. I appreciate his opinion because I think it's like anything. We need all of the different perspectives so we can come to the center and move on. All right. That's a wrap on our call sheet. And as you can see, there's a lot of superhero movie news out there right now, which, hey, should give you even more urgency to watch Collider Heroes. Here's a little promo from Hi, I'm Koi Jandro, host of Collider Heroes, and I'm here to tell you we've got 20-minute episodes coming at you on Collider Video on the YouTube, as you've always loved it. Plus, now we've got hour-long podcasts dropping every Thursday, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast because it's going to get even more sweaty on the podcast. Plus, every week we're going to try to get some very special guest interviews, all of the people that help shape these movies and TV shows you love. So, video, podcast, interviews all coming at you. Be sure to subscribe. Thanks so much, guys. Stay sweaty. So you just saw Koi. Are you ready to see more Koi? Koi's over there. Hey, Hi, Koi. It's current Koi. Very early, <laughs> less awake than that Koi. Current he had his stuff Koi. together. Hi, Haley. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm always happy when I get a Tuesday panel with the two yeah, of you. Yeah. Did everyone have a good weekend? Exhausting, but lovely. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. All and, the things. And I am so excited for everything we have planned for Witching Hour this week. Yeah. We got, we got a busy week. We do. No spoilers, but we got a busy week. We got stuff. Yeah, we got there stuff. things. Stuff brewing. Yeah. I hope this is like intriguing enough yeah, that everyone yeah. keeps coming back. It? Put it on the poster. Stuff. <laughs> things. It's coming. I, I'm just delaying the inevitable right now, which is revisiting <laughs> a story that, uh, that, you know, didn't spark the healthiest conversation uh, last week. So... Before we even get into these Mark Marin quotes, I wanted to read something that I saw online this morning that I think is just good for everyone to hear. It's something from Ellen DeGeneres because she was seen at a football game with George Bush and got some crap for it. And she came out and just said this. I just think this quote is applicable to everything. We're all different. And I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. So it's just like we're all different. We have different opinions. Whether you feel the same way about the comedy quotes as we do, like no big deal. We can have our opinion. You can have your opinion and we can have a healthy discourse about it. So keep that in mind. Share your thoughts, but share them appropriately. All right. You ready for, for the rest of these Mark Maron quotes here? <laughs> like the two minutes of caveats at the top of the I show. Tried. There's like a series of asterisks Seriously. that are just like... I, I love this community so, so much, and I love talking about movies so much, and it really just breaks my heart that there's so much hate out there that's kind of sucking the fun out of that world right now, and I think we can do a lot to make that better. Agreed. All right, let's finish these quotes now. So I read the first one earlier in the call sheet. To continue, here's what Mark Maron said. As I've said before, it's no excuse. If you're too intimidated to try to do comedy that is deep or provocative or even a little controversial without hurting people, then you're not good at what you do, or maybe you're just insensitive. To continue, 
bottom line is no one is saying you can't say things or do things. It's just that it's going to be received a certain way by certain people, and you're going to have to shoulder that. And if you're isolated or marginalized or pushed into a corner because of your point of view or what you have to say, yet you still have a crew of people that enjoy it, there you go. Those are your people. Enjoy your people. All right. I got no uh, specific toss question for you guys. We haven't gotten your thoughts on this whole situation. So what say you? Uh, comedy is subjective, and that is the best way to keep it interesting. Uh, I think if everyone had the same sense of humor, then everything would be shades of white, not even shades of gray, or shades of black, not even shades of gray. They would mm-hmm. just be these two polarized extremes, and it wouldn't be fun. It's like the Scorsese quotes. When you when you have one person that's made art for decades and made amazing films, and he doesn't like one thing, that doesn't make him less of an artist. That makes him a guy with a certain taste, and we all have certain tastes. There are things I don't enjoy, contrary to the Internet's opinion. There are many things I don't enjoy, and I don't talk about them. So I think comedy, there's a lot of comedy I like that is insensitive. There's a lot of comedy I like that offends people. There's a lot of comedy that I enjoy that isn't for everyone, and I'm going to hold on to that because it's for me, but I don't yell the things that offend others because I don't believe in hurting others, but I can still enjoy something that's my taste without it affecting someone else. They chose to click on it. I chose to click on it. I'm going to keep doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. What you, how you describe, you okay <laughs> just there? Like internet reaction I know, feeling I know. what's going to come. I mean, what you were describing earlier in your comment, too, made me think about, you know, when I review a movie negatively, and, and I didn't with Joker, but with any movie out there, if I give it a negative review, there's sometimes a silver lining in that because I hold tight to this idea that any movie out there, no matter how bad it is, has at least one person who's super passionate about it. And the cool thing about the movie industry and storytelling and art in general is that there is something for everybody out there. That one thing doesn't have to be for everybody, but everybody is covered because we have such diverse voices out there. So I always encourage that too. And listening to those diverse voices is really important. Listening to both sides of, of a conversation I think is really helpful as long as both sides are handling it civilly like I really liked the Ellen quote because I disagree with a lot of what a lot of people do but it doesn't mean I disagree with everything about a person so I'd rather give them an opportunity and I also think that if we only listen especially politically if we only listen to our side of the aisle then we're not going to get anywhere mm-hmm. like aggressively we're going to spin our wheels because we all have the same ideas that don't work without the other so I loved the, the Ellen thing spinning out into like maybe we just figure out what both sides want uh, it's just we're in such a polarizing time because it's so much more profitable to be loud and angry and it's just so much more enticing for the way we monetize things to be mad and it's also so much more of a a, a mob mentality rarely do mobs form around happiness they form around anger so we see it more and we feel it more and i don't think i've ever experienced a movie like joker where i've been so tired while enjoying something because i love joker and i can't wait to talk about it but joker the experience on the internet is a different thing than my experience in the theater Mm -hmm. so it's uh it's a tricky time all right, Haley, what you got for us? <laughs> uh, I pretty much just agree with like what exactly what Mark Brown said. You enjoy your people. <laughs> like uh, I, I'm not very easily offended. I don't really care if comedy's offensive. It doesn't to me. It, I don't care, and I know that a lot of people do. And that's your right. Care very intensely. Go for it. I don't. I don't. I also don't agree with Todd Phillips that there's any sort of crisis in comedy right now. You can go to Netflix and see that that's not true. You can see all all of the very conservative or in between shades of gray comedians 
who are who are making multi million dollar contracts and reaching a, a, a massive audience directly into their homes. The whole Dave Chappelle like battle that we just had was fought very strongly on both sides. He was not in any way denied his voice. He was given the Netflix platform. I don't agree with the assertion that there's a crisis in comedy to begin with. My difficulty is I talked about the Dave Chappelle special on Giant Size Heroes last week, plug, and I (laughs) enjoyed that special so much, and in saying I enjoyed it, I got yelled at in like paragraph form on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And I didn't say, you should watch it. I didn't say, I agree with it. I said I enjoyed it, and then I got told that I had like shown my white privilege by liking Dave Chappelle, which felt like a very interesting like situation. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to defend it. I didn't know how to like even respond so it's one of those like this is better to mute and walk away than it is to do anything else but i don't want to live in a world where i can't say i enjoyed something for fear of someone's retribution about their opinion i'd rather have a civil discourse because i enjoyed the dave chappelle but i like like bill burr joe rogan dave chappelle richard pryor like there's so many people i love george carlin that great quote he recently had as long as you're not punching down or as long as you're not aggressively hurting someone as long as the humor is known to be humor i think it has a place yeah I mean, I'd rather see a comedian toe the line than always play it safe. So I would prefer it that way. I can. I just don't think any of this is like needs to be mob mentality screaming mm-hmm. type scenario. I can watch the Dave Chappelle special and go, dude knows his craft. It's a mm-hmm. funny guy. I can also see things that he said that I thought were fairly reprehensible. I don't have to get mad about it. I can have rational thoughts about it. Talk about like, I can tell you later why I think some of the stuff he said was really grotesque. Mm-hmm. And we can still be friends at the end of the day. Uh, and that's the way it should be. And, and, like, that does tie into the Ellen quote, which I don't really want to get into because I actually don't agree that it's the same situation when one of those people is a former president and acting not, policy. Not the same situation by um, any means, but I think the thought of being able to... Sure. You know, still associate with someone even though they have different opinions is, is a very important thing to think about yeah. right now. I love that. One of my favorite things. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I, I love what Mark Moran said. He's, he's a much better talker than me, and I think he said it perfectly. And just uh, there's, there's, yeah, you can do it, <laughs> but you're going to get people that are mad about it. That's just the reality. Like, yeah. and, and so, duh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. What I say. love that you ended with that, though. <laughs> the way I saw the Dave Chappelle special is I don't listen to every track on most albums. I skip some tracks. So uh-huh. when I don't like a joke, I'm like, well, that's a track I'd skip. Like, to me, it's the sure. same sensibility of, like, if I like the overall experience, I like the overall experience. I guess the only thing that really, like, there seems to be a real trend in conservative comedy right now, which is, like, making sexual assault seem eh, it's fine. Which is something he does in that special that yeah, I think I, I is was, was pretty gross. Skip track for me. Not a big fan of that, and it's it's a very common thread in a lot of those uh, comedians you just mentioned. Joe Rogan especially had a really really grotesque bit about it recently. I don't need to agree with you, but if you're being like ah sexual assaults, whatever, then I'm probably not going to love that, and not going to love you for suggesting those ideas and putting them out on that platform. That's like my one line, but again. I'm saying this very calmly to two people that I will continue to talk to. And like, <laughs> For this, the foreseeable this, future, we'll have it conversations. It doesn't have to be an angry, you know, screed against mankind or certain types of people. I just, that particular line of thinking I think is harmful. And I think that Dave Chappelle's better than that. And that was disappointing. Yeah. There's room for nuance in the conversation. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think there's a, a better way to wrap this up. And, and, you know, hopefully this is the last time we have to cover Ooh. this on Movie Talk because we're all sweating right now. <laughs> uh, now we're going to roll into our next topic, which is Joker 2, or more specifically, the possibility of it happening at all. We know what the situation has been. We have made the assumption that Joaquin Phoenix probably signed on because it was a one-and-done deal. He wasn't, you know, contractually obligated to stick to a gigantic franchise for many years of his life. Then he said a recent quote to someone, and I think I also have a uh, Todd Phillips quote here, too. We read the uh, Phoenix quote earlier, but uh, Phillips said to the L.A. Times, maybe Joaquin's care. Oh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Joaquin Phoenix basically expressed some interest in potentially exploring not only this character further with Todd Phillips, but maybe about working together again, the two of them. So when you read that quote, do you think that is them cracking the door open to a realistic possibility of making Joker 2? Or is it more, you know, we just want to stick together and work on another film together? The video was about how much fun he was having making the movie. So to me, this is one of those rare, rare, beautiful occasions where it's like a play and someone wants to do a longer run on stage. This didn't feel <laughs> like the opposite of most sequels where it's like, ah, a studio wants more money or like, ah, I'm contractually obligated. You own my firstborn until I make 17 of these. To me, this felt like art. To me, this felt like the artistry side of filmmaking where someone was enjoying the art they were making. They discovered new things that they went along and they wanted to live in that space again. So I loved to see Joaquin for one, I love to see him comfortable. That was a great interview of an, a comfortable Joaquin Phoenix talking about craft. But mainly it was him saying they found this role. They found this specialness in making this film together. They found this organic nature in being brothers in arms and making art. And they wanted to continue that. So to me, this could be more Joker. It could maybe be more just Todd Phillips Joaquin, but it felt like Joker. It felt like it was about embodying that character. And watching the film, there's so much that's just Joaquin being it's fully embracing a role that's so special to him. And that's why I love the movie so much is you could see Joaquin and, and Todd Phillips playing. That movie felt like playtime, dark, depraved playtime. But the fact that we get more time to play with that character potentially, I love that it's the anti-studio sequel. Yeah, well, even when, you, uh, even when you revisit his quotes about, you know, switching gears with the character, yeah. shoot, stuff like that, you know, it's a sign that they had some creative flexibility. And Joaquin Phoenix definitely seems like an actor that takes to that kind of thing. I read these quotes, and if I had to place a bet right now, no more Joaquin Phoenix and Todd Phillips. Joaquin and Phoenix make a different movie, and they make Joker 2. I think I'm betting on Joker 2. Also, because it left me in a place where, despite how yucky I felt, <laughs> there's more to that story that left me very curious about what Arthur's next steps are. So I think the story possibilities are there. But I don't know. When you hear about their experience working together, it just seems like that was for them like a, a very you know fruitful experience. And it seems like he wants to go back into this. And there's a lot of fun you can do with this particular style of movie. This is a mild spoiler for, for the way it's shaped. Uh, Elseworlds Wild the way they handled the ending. I really like the idea that you can have an unreliable situation talking about the character while having a sequel that raises more questions and answers the question the ending of this one implies. And you can totally do that with the character you have. All of Dark Knight 1 was was Heath Ledger's Joker having a no origin and him, him basically trolling the audience by saying, like, you don't know how I got these scars and going through different origins. The Joker doesn't have an origin story. A lot of comic fans were upset that we were getting an origin Joker movie. The way this movie wraps itself up, we still haven't. 
And I love that because you can still do a sequel and with the way this movie ends, still not have an origin for the Joker by like having a conversation with Harley be where this is coming from by having this be a conversation with someone that you're murdering and have that be like, you know, how, how you're getting this information across because the Joker isn't someone you trust. So you can make seven of these movies and have none of them exist. I want to bring that quote I was trying to read earlier in right now. So, so badly, but I'm going to push pause on that because it goes into a little bit of a spoiler filled discussion here. But first, Haley, if you had to place your bets right now, do you think that they're going to make Joker two together? Yeah. Probably money, 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 but also I think I, money, well, but money, the creative possibilities. Okay, so yes, money talks. Warner Brothers loves money. All studios <laughs> love money. Uh, people also love say, money. I love money. Not I think studio. people are Money's big great. fans of money <laughs> in general. Yeah, so I, I think that uh, Walking Phoenix maybe could have been swayed by money, regardless, because again, people love money, but. The fact that he just had such a good time in general, he's not the kind of guy that I, you know, if we talked about this three months ago, I would have been like, yep, sequel's happening. <laughs> I, I would have been like, probably. But uh, knowing those two facts at the same time, big love for money and big love for working with Todd Phillips on this character. Yeah, seems likely. He's, he's also popping up around L.A. at screenings. He's having yeah, a good yeah, time. So, that, so to me, is another him. indicative of like, wait, Joaquin yeah. Phoenix is intentionally in public? Like, he, he's very exactly. reclusive, so him to be like, I'm on stage talking is he's not... He's doing a lot of press for this, more than he usually mm-hmm. enjoys doing, yeah. it seems like. And enjoying some of it. Yeah, I've seen more exactly. interviews of him comfortable. His Fallon interview is some of the best work I've seen Fallon do. Uh, his Fallon interview is very comfy, Joaquin. They look like old friends, and he doesn't have his usual, like... Because he's such an intense guy that even when he's having very calm emotions, they read as like high stakes. So I love watching interviews where he's like a dude talking about art. Uh, and I feel like the Joker tour is the most I've seen that. Yeah. If it wasn't for these quotes and also that kind of behavior on the press circuit, I probably would have said this is never going to happen. Like if it was the typical conversation, which we've had on Movie Talk often, where it's like first movie does really well at the box office. Does that mean the studio is going to green light a sequel? I don't think that that argument on its own would have applied here, but... I don't know, toss in the, the, the clarity that I see and how happy he is right now. And yeah, I, I think it, it could be the real deal. And I'm kind of rooting for it to happen right now. Before seeing it, I would have said this is a one-off. It has to be a one-off. The way it's shaped, the way DC built this elsewhere, it had to be a one-off. Oh, and then after seeing it, I was... There's so many possibilities. I want a so sequel to this more than a lot of things. All right. I think it's time. <laughs> what, do, what do we got? A flag right now? Let's put that spoiler flag up. There we go. If you have not seen The Joker, now is the time to leave us for a little bit. We're going to go back to non-spoiler territory in a couple of minutes. But right now, hey, Joker spoilers are on the table. That includes me because I was not well this weekend (laughs) and did not leave the house until literally this morning. So I will be disappearing. See you guys soon. Okay. Bye bye, Haley. All right. (laughs) I feel like I I hope no one hears anything. All right. Here we go. So now I want to revisit that quote that I brought up earlier or was trying to bring up at the wrong time. Todd Phillips told the L.A. Times that maybe Joaquin's character inspired the Joker. And then he goes on to say, you don't really know his last line in the movie. You wouldn't get it. There's a lot going on in there that's interesting. I find that idea really interesting. I hate it. I think it's so aggressively, like, the Joker is not a copycat. If the main Batman Joker is like, you know, I heard about this guy. I I think that Sully's the Joker. He's an agent of chaos. He is pure mayhem. If he's like, I'm going to model myself after this other agent of chaos, it is weak sauce. I am not saying that this is the best idea (laughs) for another movie. 
it is it is interesting though, and sure. I think I find it interesting because you know between the filmmaker Phillipses and the kind of filmmaker Phoenixes, it's just such a like a bold move to make. Sure. Could you imagine if another movie came out and the revelation towards the end of that movie was really he was just like an agent? He he inspired the villain that we thought we've been following the entire time. I, I see that as a like a more of a, a te- like more of the, like a Gotham would do that or an Arrowverse show. I see it as more of that realm because if you have a second movie and then you're undermining your entire first movie and undermining the future of the Joker mythos with that Batman, mm-hmm. that feels like a very hard pill to swallow. And I, I, I love Elseworlds. Like there's this comic called uh, Batman White Knight where the Joker gets sane out of spite because he feels like he's he can run Gotham better than Batman. So he mm-hmm. like takes pills, he puts his life together, and he's a, a, a basically a, a public figure in Gotham and runs the city and does it better than Batman to prove that he's smarter than Batman. Do you think that's all that... Uh- that could happen here? I'm saying <laughs> That's that, interesting. that kind of Elseworld is way more interesting because it, it's so huh. separate. Whereas if you bring in a, a 40 years younger Batman, because we met, you know, Bruce, if, if he's 40 years younger and you've got like this, this guy that he met when he was nine and like kind of caused his parents' death, all of that would sully the Joker-Batman relationship. Whereas the kind of Elseworld like White Knight is, uh-huh. that's a foundational shift and change. All right. Does that make sense? I, it does make sense. I think uh, I see greater potential in the idea of digging into kind of like the copycat mentality mm-hmm. and all, like because the movie does scratch the surface of that Absolutely. as well. I mean, there's so many people following in his footsteps by the end of it, but you bring up Batman. So I want to let you guys know that there is a full feature going up on Collider.com later today about Joker 2 theories. We're not going to go through them all right now. I'm going to tell you to go to the website and read the full article. But this comes from one of our writers, Raphael, and I want to bring up one of his points here. Curious to get your take on this, Koi. So one of these theories that he's got is Joker becomes Bruce's mentor. And the beginning of his write-up for that section of the article is Arthur seems sympathetic towards Bruce. Now that they are both orphans, the sequel to Joker could see Arthur take a bigger interest in the young Wayne heir, seeing him as a victim of society, of the system and society. This could lead to a scenario where Arthur becomes a sort of mentor to Bruce, showing him how life outside Wayne Manor with a father-son relationship blossoming between the traditional mortal enemies. At all a possibility in your mind... I mean, that that one does feel like another very, very big swing. Yeah. I could see where this idea comes from, though, obviously. But like the, all of Joker is a big swing. So even all the stuff true. I said negatively before, I didn't think this would work. I, I was excited for Joker, but I didn't think I'd be this into this version of Bruce. I didn't think I'd be this into this version of Joker. I thought I'd like the movie, but I didn't think I'd want a Joker, too. I didn't think I'd want to keep this yeah. through line going. So if you're going to make a choice like that, it would have to be just as strong of a move. And if you're going to solidify an Elseworld, like, I don't hate either idea. I just think that, mm, I kind of do. But I, I think that <laughs> I think that having the brotherliness because of his psychosis is interesting. And I think that having the worldview that Thomas Wayne might be his pops is interesting and I think that would be the implication but he also actively didn't pull the trigger but he caused the death of the Waynes so I feel like that would be a really tricky thing if you're sympathizing with Bruce to be like well the guy kind of killed your parents and Bruce's whole thing is like I right the wrongs I war on crime so if he's warring on crime he can't be friends with the criminal Bruce's whole thing is warring on crime he can't be like but this is my exception it's it's true, but we, you know, we're, we're in a zone that's kind of like turning all of the comic book origins and the things that we once knew on its head. I mean, who's to say that young Bruce Rain- Wayne in this version of uh, Joker and Bruce couldn't have, 
you know, like a dark moment. I mean, maybe even uh, being manipulated by Arthur to a degree. In this version of it, I see Batman as the villain. Because you're sympathetic towards Arthur at times. Not all the time. There are moments where you're sympathetic. Even even to a T, you could see the way Gotham, the reason Gotham's so beautiful is all of the villains have some sort of mental instability. A lot of the villains have mental instability. And Bruce Wayne's effectively a billionaire just kicking the crap out of people that need help. So at the end of the day, if you're going to play it from the perspective of we empathize with the Joker because we've seen his movie, Bruce Wayne becomes the antagonist. Well, an interesting scenario could be this this mentor-mentee type relationship, what, but where the end result is the Batman that we thought we knew winds up with the core pillars of what makes the Joker the Joker. And what's interesting... And in, in which case, we actually still get copycat culture. So. And that, that would... I'd like that version of Bruce seeing Joker as like he embodies some of those things, even though it would, it would sacrifice all of the, the Batman... Well, in the yeah. comics but batman in the comics and the joker's relationship is so interesting because they're two sides of similar coins one's all about control the other's about a lack of control so if you have them being in any sort of relationship that defies that relationship which is the the core like joker batman mm-hmm. thing and there's even talk in a lot of comics where there's a subtext about how batman and joker need each other like that's a running line like the idea that batman won't yeah. get rid of the joker because he needs that element of chaos and he kind of loves his freedom and, and batman kind of looks to that mm-hmm. especially in like right now there's like dark knight's metal uh there's the batman who laughs there's so many comics where the joker and batman are, are in different relationships but i i think they should leave that alone for this series of movies because it will only sully the arthur fleck we have so you you would have a joker two without any association or limited association with bruce wayne bruce wayne could be a teenager and maybe we find out he went off to go train maybe Mm. that's something that happens we hear but i don't think we should like if i see a newspaper like uh son of thomas wayne and martha wayne disappears and then we know as an audience like he's going training for batman that's what i want i think if they do like uh if they do any sort of my 40 years younger nemesis or they make Bruce into the antagonist, that'll that'll mess up a lot of continuity. In that case, what do you see the next chapter of Arthur's story being? I see Arthur basically realizing that, that he's never had friends. He's never had people that cared about him. He's, the whole movie talks about how he wasn't seen mm-hmm. until recently. Being seen. So at the end of the movie, you have him being seen for the first time. I would have a sequel wherein he suddenly has this thing and he doesn't know what to do with being a leader. He's never been a leader before. The whole time he's trying to be sexy and cool so it's him trying to embody a new mentality. So it's Arthur and his psychosis evolving into a very bravado where he lives that way. And he meets Harley and he falls for Harley. I, w- I would twist so the Harley you're, mythos. You're adding Harley Quinn now to I this. Would, I would make the Harley thing the new twist on him being the one that doesn't know how to be himself around Harley instead of making Harley the weaker character. Because I love Harley Quinn as a character. I'd make her the stronger one and make him be like, I don't know if I'm Arthur Fleck or I'm the Joker. And I'd make a story where the unreliable narration is to the person he loves. Not saying I'm not interested in seeing Harley Quinn added to Arthur Fleck's story, but this is where I think Studio Red Tape comes in, where Margot Robbie has such a firm hold on that role, and we've got Birds of Prey, and who knows what else coming after for that character. I I know it couldn't (laughs) be her, but I also think there's too much red tape about that character right now. It's like, even when we're talking about all the Batman rumors, it's... It's not about the Joker. It's about other villains. So I have a feeling that that possibility is not going to happen. But who's to say that we can't see maybe a somewhat similar relationship happen between Arthur and and another character instead? Well, I I wouldn't. And when I say Harley's a weaker character, I mean, only in relations to how they have the dynamic between Joker and, and Harley in the like early 2000s like now Harley's effectively a stronger character than anyone like Harley mm-hmm. the character is so she's a 
freaking psychiatrist. She's brilliant and she can handle herself. Mm -hmm. So I would want a character that was a Harley like parallel, just like Joker is effectively a Joker parallel. Yeah. So I'd have a character at the hospital named Harlene and you wouldn't have to do a lot. You could just make that the unreliable narrator aspect and have it be him insecure around her. And that would add an element of what he's evolved into. If he's in the hospital, okay. I, I would do something like that. I'd play. I'd play with their relationship. I want to see I can't a broken how love story. This is getting me. It's just like I mean, everybody out there knows that I didn't walk out of the movie feeling that great. But the, <laughs> it's like the conflict between having that. I mean, it's actually what you expressed earlier too. The conflict of having that feeling, but so desperately wanting more. I love the movie, it, and I felt nauseous exciting. for two hours. It's exciting, and it's an exciting conversation to yeah. have. But this is the end of our spoiler conversation. I think Haley should come back to set now if she can hear me. All right, we're going to move on to your live chat questions later on today's show. But first, we've got some cool stuff coming your way on the Collider Video YouTube channel. Here's a promo. Hi, I'm Amy Dallin, one of the hosts of Collider Heroes. And starting right now, you can catch our show Tuesday nights with a new Collider Heroes and a longer Collider Heroes podcast where Koi and I are going to talk your ears off. You already know that's coming. So make sure to go to YouTube, subscribe, and find us on the Collider Heroes podcast feed for all of that sweaty goodness. The Witching Hour is all over Collider right now. You can listen to that horror-filled podcast with myself, with Haley Fouch. We talk about witchiness. We talk about slashers. We talk about space horror. You name it. All on that show on the Collider Factory feed. And on top of that, you can find an article all about Witching Hour every single Tuesday on Collider.com. Check it out. Get scared. Hopefully you survive the Witching Hour. All right, let's get into our third panel discussion of the day. We're talking about Edward Norton's comments on The Incredible Hulk. We've got two extra things to add to this one, so brace yourself. More quote cards ahead of you. We had positive discussions about going on with the films, and we looked at the amount of time that would have taken, and I wasn't going to do that. I honestly would have wanted more money than they would have uh, wanted to pay me, but that's not why I would have wanted to do another Hulk movie anyway. He also added, I'm saying that Kevin had an idea of a thing that you could do, and it was remarkable. Now it didn't happen to be on a tonal thematic level what I wanted to spend my time doing, so... I mean, you know, it's all said and done. It is what it is. We know where things landed for Ed Norton as Hulk. But uh, what make you of this story? Is there any particular reason you thought this happened? And do you think this idea had any potential that was maybe cut short too soon? I think it happened because Ed Norton is much more control and structure on his films and early MCU was very improvisational uh, Iron Man wasn't done being written when they made it and it's still one of my favorite Marvel movies Iron Man 2 suffered the opposite direction I like Iron Man 2 but it definitely felt like they were writing as they went I don't think Ed Norton could hang in that like they were building they were assembling they were eh. uh, but they I didn't even mean to pun uh, but I do think that if Ed Norton and the Hulk had come in later in the MCU, we might still have Ed Norton as the Hulk, um, because I think that he wanted to care. Like, the character is so important to him. He loves Bruce Banner. I just think that it was too early in the MCU's track record to really have the structure that Ed Norton needed, because he, like, re-edited American History X. Like, the guy wants to control his movies yeah. to the chagrin of others. I mean, he was in Italian Job, I hear, because of, like, contracts, not because he wanted to. So, there's so many things about Ed Norton that just read control that I can't imagine it was okay to be like, we'll figure it out as we go. We'll add some, some dogs in it like Ang Lee maybe I don't know uh, so I would love to have seen the second movie that he's talking about here but I don't think it could have ever existed yeah I, I, I pretty much agree it definitely yeah. couldn't exist but I, I I was telling you guys earlier 
I'm probably a bigger fan of this movie than maybe I should be, given the the general consensus about it. I, I quite liked it, and I wouldn't mind seeing his interpretation of the Hulk explored further, but I also love me some Ruffalo, so I'm not going to sacrifice that for more Ed Norton. I think it's just one of those personality things, basically, like you said. I mean, there's... He is not the actor who's comfortable being a cog in this machine, which isn't to say that people like Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans are just cogs, but they certainly understand their part in a much bigger world of films and Mm -hmm. universe that they're making. You know, they are team players in a major way, which they've proved over the course of a decade. And as you you (laughs) delineated quite nicely, he is a controlling person when it comes to his his pieces. And the control with this ultimately lies with Feige. Uh, He looks so creepy behind you. I just want to say it's very hard to focus. Um, But, like, it's hard to get too salty about it. I also enjoy that movie more than most, it seems. But, like, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk is a gift. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, I think, fits in the world better. Ed Norton's Hulk, as it was, was a great, uh, like... uh, it was a lot like the show. He intentionally mirrored the David Banner with his Bruce Banner. He mirrored that uh, like idea of the, the the walk away. They even played the music from the show. Like it was very much that. Whereas the Hulk in the movies, like Mark Ruffalo, is playing this like just broken guy that's always waiting to come out. Whereas I felt like he played the Bruce Banner side a little stronger. Whereas Mark Ruffalo plays trying to not be the Hulk. So yeah. I, I really like the dichotomy of their two Hulks. Mm. But I don't know if Ed Norton's Hulk would have fit within the MCU. And I also I love the idea of the sequel because it's like this walkabout movie. We almost had this great like peyote quest i would have loved to have, have seen a movie that was like an existential crisis on drugs about what the hulk means because you the, put it that way because like if you go on a walkabout and you make that walkabout about being a monster but that monster is literal instead of metaphorical if you make a movie about what your rage means to you and the rage is the hulk instead of just you having a like a bad day that's an amazing movie like i've had burning man trips that could have definitely been a, like a movie but adding the hulk to it like it definitely there's there's something about the idea of a man dealing with his rage that makes the hulk interesting but adding a walkabout to that and CGI with Ed Norton, I'd watch that movie today. Like, they can still make it. The crazy thing is I feel like we're only scratching the surface of Koi Brain right now, but, like, this could could get, like... (laughs) This one quote I read and went, like, yeah! (laughs) Like, something that is, like, Rango meets Hulk meets Death to Smoochie like put all that together Ooh. and that like I want that I wouldn't say no to it <laughs> but it also it's like when you get into the conversation about you know like tonal inconsistencies none of this sounds like it belongs in the MCU or maybe even under the Disney banner for it's that like matter avant garde theater production yeah, like, I, I kind of want like Terrence Malick's Hulk where it's like yes. him sitting and meditating trying to keep oh, the Hulk down he's going my. on vision quests <laughs> All right. Right? I think you sold it. And then you've got, like, Mr. Fix-It, and then you've got, like, Red Hulk, and you've got, like, you've got all these different Hulks that are different versions of his id and ego, and he's going through his mind and trying to figure out what his personality lies, and each one of the Hulks is a different part of his personality. He has to fight them to find a way to stay calm. But the thing is, I feel like you could star in this Hulk movie, so we can we can, we can make, make this it. happen. Kevin, yeah. I'm available. Okay. Hulkling, let's do this thing. I'm, I'm down to produce in any capacity I can, <laughs> or we're going to bring this vision to life, Internet, boy. let's make it so. <laughs> all right. Before we wind up, on today's show we've got time for the live chat questions all right uh here's one from rick samoris oh i know what this is about what is the gemini gemini man story all about so i actually was sharing this link with you guys a little earlier today because there's a story going around right now about how very few theaters out there are screening the movie as ang lee intended it for it to be screened in theaters which uh 
which is a little bit of a bummer. Uh, how do you guys uh, take this story? Are you disappointed? Or is it kind of just like is what it is given how unusual the screening format is? I, I do think that when you make movies that call for really tricky screening formats, you are putting yourself in a position where most theaters either aren't equipped or like don't have the qualified staff to do it. Uh, at least when I was still working in movie theaters, projection was becoming more you and more too? pushing of a button. Yes. Yeah, I, I was old lace-up cut attached oh, like yeah. back then, not for long, but for a little bit. I miss it. I miss it. Still have like the sense memory of how to thread a projector. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but that all was going away is basically what I'm saying. It was more or less just like a kid who pushed a start button by the time I was done. So so putting an extra ask on top mm-hmm. of that for people who are fundamentally not very well trained. This is not true everywhere. Obviously, there are theater companies that have really well trained uh, projectionists, but I think there's like maybe three. Yeah. Um, I think it's, the, it's not the surprising. Total in this case, is fourteen theaters. Yeah. What? I can't. Yeah. I mean, it's I'm a, seek it it's out. a bummer. Yeah. I really wish I had made one of the press screenings now. Now that I know this, <laughs> Four, they fourteen. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Fourteen U.S. theaters will project Will Smith's new action thriller in 120 frames per second in three day. Yikes. At least two have to be in L.A., right? Maybe. Well. Our odds are good. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I feel like our odds are better than most, sadly. I mean, it's it's always unfortunate to hear that, you know, what a filmmaker is trying to achieve is not going to be shared, you know, widely across the country, if not the world. But I'm still not sold on the high frame rate yeah. thing. I just, I don't get it. Sometimes I think it looks beautiful. And sometimes I, ha- I think it has the reverse effect where it kind of cheapens your visuals and... I don't know. I, I can't get used to it anyway. So in the case of this particular issue, I'm like, eh, what's the uh, big deal? I want to see it so I know if I feel strongly or against it. I, I haven't had enough exposure to know. Like, it's like judging 3D when it's 80s 3D. Like, I don't know if that yeah. counts. So, I mean, I the only I'm not looking forward to Avatar 2, but I'm hoping it, it shows me why 3D should matter more to me. Because like Hector, like a bunch of my friends, I, like I Hector was and Adam. Say, like, you have spoken a lot to Hector. Hector, <laughs> Hector has convinced me I should care about 3D, but I still don't yet, and I want to. He's, so I want to. He's trying so hard oh, with me to resell me on it, and he he like he went from my heart too. He made me watch a little bit of Jurassic Park in 3D, and it's like Jurassic Park is one excited. of those things in my life that is undeniable in any format. Whether I'm you know just watching the visuals, just listening to the audio, let alone experiencing my favorite movie of all time in 3D. So that was like. That was a cheap shot. Yeah, I was going to say, anyone that doesn't know Hector Navarro, he's very clever. He put on Venom for me. And the Venom, like, the second act of Venom is my jam. He literally put it on the lobster scene. So I was like, bro, let's watch this in 3D. Let's dance. Like, I was all about it. Is anyone good at explaining high frame rate to our viewers? I want to, like, do, like, a popular, a popular, a, uh, a proper description or definition. But, I mean, usually uh, films 30 frames per second, right? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. Was or it? Is digital thirty? Oh gosh, it, I know. It's so been a long time. Guys. There are frame. I think you're right. I think film is twenty-four. I think digital might be thirty. All right. So four times that, one hundred twenty frames per second. Theoretically, you're getting more images per second. Mm-hmm. Well, not li- theoretically. Literally, you're getting more images per second. Uh, <laughs> Which is that high frame rate is the motion smoothing of movie theaters. Ooh. Like it just doesn't look. Well, it's a, right. it's also like imagine. I mean, think about how many times we've we've applauded you know shooting on film. There's something about the texture that you get from shooting on film that I mean is completely lost when you go to the high frame rate, rate technique it's yeah. like all of all of that is like it's almost like 
movie magic is gone from it. <laughs> That's actually one of the things I liked about Joker is it felt like the world. It didn't feel glam- it didn't feel shiny. It didn't feel glamorous. Like for me, that's my now that's my favorite Gotham now because it felt like a place I could go. I wouldn't want to, but it felt like a place I could go because of the way it was shot. <laughs> I feel like 120 frames per second removes you from any sort of reality. You can't it, you can't put yourself in that world because it doesn't look like the world. I also think that high frame rate doesn't suit close quarters action mm. as well as certain other shooting styles, and I think that's something. I mean, you're going to get this more in uh, the Gemini Man review I did with Jeff later this week, but I think that is that's something that does not help that movie at all because it's got a lot of close quarters fist fighting. But the the filmmaker wanting it means that's how I want them to show it. For me, yeah. it's the film if they mm-hmm. can. So the filmmaker doing it like when I was uh, growing up that that letterbox thing when a movie was sixteen by nine, you watched it on TV and you're just like missing pieces. Mm-hmm. They're just cutting it off and zooming in like that. That pan and scan is just insulting. So if you're showing the a movie, Buffy Blu-ray release. I mean, unacceptable. I just, it's. I, I have Top Gun and Lethal Prompt. Weapon on Laserdisc, VHS, Blu-ray, and DVD, and I think three of them are different formats because mm. they just like they find a way to show. And I want it to be the movie, so I'd love the director to get his say, but I just don't know if that's an option with theaters now. Well, it's like a whole, lar- like obviously, if people miss this movie in theaters, they will never really have the chance to see it the way it's intended anyway. Yeah. So that's a choice made by the filmmaker in terms of long-term viability for their film. There's, there's Once it gets to the home audience, you've already lost that. Although generally, I agree. I'd love to see the film as intended. Yeah. But when you do something, it's sort of like what I was saying with the uh, the just what projectionists are able to do in theaters right now. You are making a movie that mm. essentially has a limitation to the accessibility of it. We're yeah. actually having the same thing, I think, with uh, the Aeronauts. I think that was shot in IMAX, and, and they're in a situation where there's limited IMAX theaters available. Mm. So most people are going to watch that movie streaming on Amazon oh, rather wow. than on the big screen. I mean, that was one of the reasons I tried to prioritize it at TIFF, because I wanted to see it on the big screen. It didn't work out. So now I'm just coming to terms with the fact that, you know... When it pops up on a streaming service, that's how I'm going to watch it. It's like the opposite of the Jurassic Park thing where I like wanted to see it on a big screen, but it was released for streaming. And I was like, but this is a movie. <laughs> so it's really strange the time we're living in where content's just like, when you find it, enjoy it. I think it. what really matters is Jurassic Park is phenomenal in every single <laughs> format. More of the story. <laughs> All right. Let's get maybe one or two questions in here. Riley Jack is asking us, with Judy Rocketman and Bohemian Rhapsody all being successful music biopics, what singer would you like to see get a biopic next? I'm going to say Britney Spears. I like your answer. Mm. I kind of want a Britney Spears one. That's good. It's sad, but I would really love to see a Chester Bennington biopic. That guy went mm. through so much, and I think he's got one of the best voices in the history of music, and he's so unique, and I think that what they did with music, whether you like Linkin Park or not, like they changed music very much the way like Aerosmith and Run DMC did. Uh, so I'd love to see their cultural impact through Chester's eyes, and I think it's a good time for that story. I my go to answer remains the same, which is Tilda Swinton as David Bowie. It's it's just destiny. It has to happen. Somebody do it. Uh, but I also my my favorite type of music is um, Otis Redding, Sam Cooke, that sort mm-hmm. of generation. And I'd love I'd love to see more about how that fundamentally changed the course of music. And we don't. Like everyone knows those songs, but we never talk about them by name. Like Sam Cooke never comes up unless James Gunn puts a song in Guardians of the Galaxy too. You know, so I'd love to see that uh, generation get some attention. Does uh, does 
a composer count for this? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I would love to see a, a biopic about one of the greats, like like John Williams or something. Ooh. I mean, the idea of weaving those iconic themes into a, uh, you know, a scripted feature about his career. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really know the extremes and what would make that, you know, a super interesting narrative about, you know, a character arc or anything like that. But I... I mean, I just idolize John Williams. I think he's phenomenal, and I want to learn more about him. And I think that would bring more people to classical music, which would be a cool Good. thing. To, to draw an audience towards a different style of music would be nice. Yeah. Like you're saying, like, you're both pitching movies that that audience might not know their music, so it would right. give them more of a, an exposure to it. All I right. think old-school hip-hop would be dope. I'd love to see, like, a two-short or, like, what Dre did after Straight Outta Compton, like a sequel mm-hmm. to Straight Outta Compton, or, like, a Wu-Tang movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just made a TV show, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 On Hulu? I know. Hulu? I knew that sounded familiar. Yeah. But isn't it a documentary? Isn't it more of a? I, I wanted like a like a fiction, like a narrative, like like straight out of Compton, but with Wu Tang. Is it that? I, I thought it was fiction. <gasps> that's that's getting the thumbs up. It just exists. It just. I'm okay. I'm doing good today. The thing <laughs> I want is out there. Your dream came true on movie talk today. All right, Doreen, you got five seconds. I know you're looking for a bread question. <laughs> <laughs> the cat. The countdown is on. We have a bread All right. shortage. We're gonna say goodbye <laughs> in two seconds. It's, I'm waiting for a bread it's about question. About to be a gluten free show, bro. He's he's demanding that I wait right now. So. There's a theme going on movie talk, and it has something to do with bread. I don't see a bread question. I'm ready to say goodbye. Oh, uh-oh. All right. Did we get one? Are you guys ready for this? Yep. <laughs> I feel like I can't with these. <laughs> Robert St. Clair says, how many types of instant bread has Ray ate in the AT-AT? <laughs> like, what the heck, man? What, <laughs> what does that even how mean? How many types of instant bread? I assume there's only, like, three. <laughs> What's instant? There's so what's many instant types of bread? bread? But we like how does that technology is transfer? instant bread like know. like bagged bread it's, that you would buy in a supermarket? No, no it's no, that no, scene in the movie powder. where she where oh, she pours oh, the thing okay. and it fluffs oh. up. Yeah. I mean, it, have we have we quantified that as bread though? It was like bread adjacent. Breadish. It, I mean, yeah, it was bread-ish. Oh, is that? Do you have something that's okay? A better one. <laughs> We're not scientifically qualified to answer that one. I'm sorry. Dart Love says, if you had your own bread factory and an unlimited amount of ingredients, what type of bread would you make? Um, egg bagels. Egg bagels. Egg bagels are so good. Or I would take over the Martin's potato bread empire and I would just produce potato bread. That's a good one. I want like a, like a really refined sourdough. That's my also my I answer. Think, I think when you when it's, when you find the right sourdough, it's a game <laughs> yeah. changer. And when you have when you have bad sourdough, it's fine. But when you find good sourdough, it's like it's like wine. It's I also an intended to like preface that it has to be really spectacular. <laughs> sourdough. <laughs> we have very strong sourdough yeah, exactly. opinions. Like, you know, not just any sourdough. I want your market sourdough. I think that's yeah. fair, and I, I think that yeah. Ray definitely that was sourdough. Like, all right, I, if if you're like growing, it's definitely got a little. Oh, yeah. Like, I buy it. Most likely, statistically. I'd say Ray's got white wheat and sourdough on that that ad hat. I still don't think that's like traditional bread. I think calling that bread is a stretch there. (laughs) There has to be other nutrients in that in order for it to to actually sustain a person. No, the question was we own the factory? Oh, we own the factory. Banana bread, because it would smell amazing. And it smells so good. Banana bread's a good good call. Like you just exist in like the sweet, cherubic nature of banana bread? Yeah. Mm. Banana bread or like like coffee cake or something like that. Like a dessert right. bread. I feel like there's no better way to end movie talk than with a bread question. It's like I feel like we walk out the door and send everybody on their way with like a little like positivity, like a bread positivity in their day, right? Right? We've risen some bread. That's a terrible oh, no. pun. I can't. I can't. I'm gonna say goodbye now. Oh, that was a crusty joke. Can't even.
Thank you so much for being here today. Adam in the booth, Dorian in the live chat. Thanks for the bread question. I love All to right. be here. I love it. It's time to say I goodbye. But before we do, I'm going to oh, send no. you on over to Collider Live. They go up at 10 a.m. Pacific, and we're back tomorrow, 9 a.m. Pacific. So come join us again. Show's a real slice of life. It really is. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa full synthetic motor oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. There's an underdog story happening today in America. Small businesses are fighting to make a comeback, but in the moment they have the least, they're giving the most. They're rallying communities and neighborhoods, yet asking for little in return. Well, it's time we gave back. Small Unites is making it simple for everyone to take action and support the small businesses that unite us all. Find out how you can donate, shop, and share today at smallunites.org. 